Hi, everyone. Today we're reading Luke chapter four in the season of Epiphany. Well, the second half of Luke chapter four that's significantly more disturbing than the passage we had last week. We'll see what that's about. I'm Alicia McClintock. And I'm Megan Pardew. And this is the A Plain Account podcast. the text this week from the NRSV. And I'm going to pick up where we left off in verse 21. Then Jesus began to say to the synagogue, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless, you will quote to me the proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Woo! I get a little bit overwhelmed by really big emotions in scripture. Sometimes I don't (laughs) know how to talk about them. And I was like, these people have big feelings, big, big feelings. And it's a little bit hard uh, to end a passage like that saying like, this is the word of the Lord. And uh, we offer like gratitude and thanks to God for this word. But I always trust that when we come to the scriptures, even these ones with like big intense feelings that we turn them over and we find the good news of the Lord for us today. Right, Megan? Yes. And we're, I mean, in some ways it's comforting. Like we're in a, we live in a time with really, with, (laughs) there are a lot of big feelings in a global pandemic. So many big Um, feelings. (laughs) I mean, obviously like the feelings that make sense uh, and (laughs) grief, despair, sorrow, and then a whole lot of rage, some of which makes Mm -hmm. a lot of sense to me. And some of, some of it that's like, feels just really troubling. So, you know, it's there's big feelings in the in the synagogue here on this day <laughs> in Luke 4 and we open it up as, you know, people pastors who have many of us experienced big feelings we would have never anticipated from the people that we love and minister to. Yeah. Yeah. And so we we preach these passages with care. But we also know that that there is um th- that there's a message, that there's some good news, that that the spirit is up to something as we do our work to engage some of these really big feelings, right? Yes. 
What do we want to look to, Alicia? What is standing out to you as you come to the scripture today? Well, I mean, like you had just said, there's a whole lot of rage. And I have some questions about like where exactly that comes from. What's the catalyst that that um, moves the congregation, the synagogue, the crowd from being amazed at the gracious words that are coming from his mouth to suddenly being so enraged that they want to throw him off a cliff. That feels that feels really extreme. It's not like like so mad or frustrated that they're like throwing tomatoes at him or like <laughs> there's it it seems like that was like a massive escalation of deep anger. Right. It's not just like like shut up, sit down, get out of here, but like to to propel him, to drive him out to the cliff so that they can push him over the edge and eliminate him forever is really um, extreme. And so I'm curious, like, like what's the turning point? What are the factors that go into um, turning a peaceful synagogue gathering into, like, an enraged mob that wants to, like, kill Jesus? <laughs> It just feels really, really intense to me. And I'm curious in understanding like the components of that. Well, I think you're exactly right. And we can look to the assigned election for the point that this turn takes place. Mm -hmm. But it's also such an important reminder that this is like we're coming into the middle of the story to literally the middle of of an active scene that's taking place in the synagogue. So if you did not preach on the first part of Luke 4 last week, or if someone else preached, or if someone else, if your congregation did something different, I do think you need to come to Luke 4 here, beginning in verse 21, and first look at what Jesus has just said. That has this these first words, right, from Isaiah, that have led the people to being so impressed with Jesus, my Mm -hmm. translation, the common English Bible says, everyone was raving about Jesus. (laughs) So impressed were they by his gracious words, by the gracious words flowing from his lips. So it's like, first, you need to make sure that you know, preacher, and then also reference back in your sermon, like, what is it that has just made them so thrilled? And it's this announcement of the good news that's been fulfilled in their hearing. And they're feeling great about that. Yeah. This is Joseph's son, isn't it? And then it's like Jesus has a moment where something switches for him. Right? So something switches for Jesus before it switches for the people. And it's almost like he realizes in all of the ways that he's been so warmly received Mm -hmm. (laughs) that something is missing here. Yeah. And so he changes his tune a bit and offers more context to the good news that he's just proclaimed and the good news that he said has just been fulfilled. And the context that he adds is very, very troubling. So troubling. So troubling. Yeah, I um, uh, I mean, at the risk of being flippant, I can't help thinking about the scene in Princess Bride where uh, Inigo Montoya responds to Vecini and says, I don't think that word means what you think it means. Like you keep using that word, but that's not what it means. Um, and I, it seems like Jesus has this moment, this kind of wake up call, like you think you understand what I'm saying, but, 
but you're missing something. And then Jesus goes on right. to, to offer um, two scriptural examples of what it means that God's promises are fulfilled. Um, he talks about Elijah and Elisha, and it's Jesus kind of drilling down on some really specific examples that seems to turn the tide of public opinion. Absolutely. So we have first this line about Dr. Heal Yourself, do here in your hometown what you've heard, what we've heard you did in Capernaum. And then this line, I assure you that no prophet is welcome in the prophet's hometown. And <laughs> after those couple of lines, it's like, wait, do here in your hometown what, what we've heard you did in Capernaum. It's like he's saying, I'm not going to do what I've done in Capernaum here. No. And in fact, here is where God has been at work in the past. Right. And here is where God is going to be at work now. Right. Right. And yeah. the Old Testament examples you mentioned are very particular. They are. Yeah. And well, and Jesus, Jesus takes time to really emphasize some of their particularities that there is um, in the time of famine, a widow who is given an abundance of food, of flour and oil, right? Um, the, the, materials for making bread that won't run out. And it's given to a widow outside the boundaries of the particular people of Israel. Um, right, right. And, and then he emphasizes Elisha, who is Elijah's successor as prophet to the people, um, a spiritual leader and miracle worker who heals Naaman, a foreign military uh, captain, or commander who comes to visit the holy man seeking his own healing. So there are plenty of other lepers who Elisha isn't going around on a healing tour, um, but an outsider um, and not only an outsider, but like a foreign enemy military commander who comes seeking healing from Elisha and the word of the Lord uh, comes to Elisha and he sends Naaman on this like ridiculous bathing mission in the Jordan, like, se <laughs> yeah. like seven, seven dunks in the river. Um, and it's, it's the, it's the faith of an outsider that brings about, um, a really miraculous sign in the community. Um, and so as Jesus drills down on these, like, very particular outsiders, uh, it, it seems like, like that continued discourse really gets the people angry. It does. And I think it's hard for us in our context. I'll speak for myself. It's hard for me. Neither of these examples cause me any anger. Right. <laughs> right. So I'd be curious for preachers, whether or not you use this in your sermon, I think the exercise is worth your time. Who, whose participation in God's family or, or who is it that might like God's yes to them would cause everything from, I mean, let's start with discomfort, but if we can get all the way to rage, um, you know, in your community, yeah, like who is not welcome and not just like, ah, oh, they wouldn't really fit here, but like <laughs> who receiving the healing of God or like you just said, whose faithfulness yeah. would be so troubling yeah, that it would end 
the, the end result of their inclusion or participation would be rage. Like right. really sit with that question and try to answer it for your community. Is it a military leader? Is it a, a leader in an oppositional political party? Is it a person of a particular um, gender identity or sexual orientation? Like what, yeah. what kind of, like be really honest with yourself. Yeah, maybe another way to frame that kind of reflection exercise is to think about uh, the promises that Jesus is saying are being fulfilled in their hearing, right? Uh, this freedom, this justice, this liberation, um, uh, the year of God's favor and joy. So Jesus has just read the scripture and said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing, and then goes on to talk about outsiders, right? And it makes me think about, um, I think it's a proverb, or maybe it's the Psalms, um, the line that hope deferred makes the heart sick. So Jesus is preaching about these promises being fulfilled to people who have been long, long, long waiting for these promises. And Jesus is saying like, okay, wait, but you've you've missed the message. It's actually coming to other people. Like there are other people ahead of the line for you who are going to receive this abundance, this freedom, this joy, this favor. And, and part of me wonders like, okay, I think that maybe is a big component of their rage, right? They're like, we've been waiting so long and you're putting somebody else ahead of us. Are you kidding me? Right. Right. Like who, who in, who in our lives might we be troubled that they get special attention or favor from the Lord or special blessing ahead of us because we deserve it because we've been waiting longer. Right. I'm, I'm drawing some connections to like the parable of the workers in the vineyard or, or the elder brother of the prodigal son story. The like, we've been faithful and diligent. I've been doing everything you ever wanted for us. And you're giving the blessing to them first before us get out. Right. Like, I, like it feels like that's the, the sort of like we've earned our position and now we're coming up to our due. And Jesus has said, here, these promises are coming, but actually all y'all are going to the back of the line. Right. 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 Yeah. So I, I think th- those are some of the reflection questions then, then for me, like who, who would make me so angry if they got to cut in line, so to speak, if they, if they were given the, the same pay as I was for working significantly less in the vineyard, like who, who, fits into that category that would make me deeply disturbed. And, and I think that's a worthwhile exercise to empathize with what's happening in the story here. Right. Absolutely. Because my, my gut is that most of us, we all want to be like on board with (laughs) the first half, right? The, the, the before verse 21, Isaiah's vision um, and this good news of liberation, but but it's one thing to be on board with this like general vision that seems full of goodness that actually doesn't require me to lose my place in line. Right. Right. Like we're all for you keeping the doors open for those people, but we were here first. <laughs> right. And so we're going to do things the way we've always done things. Right. right. Or we're going to continue to hold 
the positions of power or decision-making um, or decide where the money goes. And that's just a really, like, Jesus clearly wants to disrupt us as well um, in and while we really pursue, like, what is this piece about the outsider? What, like, that requires me to, to assume to be called out that, like, I, like, the, the gospel is not just for me. Right. In fact, it's, it's fundamentally here, right, um, for the outsider, not the insiders. And we have this repeated phrase, none of them. Mm. Um, none of them, meaning like none of the people it's, it seems pointing to like none of the people in these stories. Um, and then perhaps like none of the people in Nazareth. Right. And I, I think it's also maybe worthwhile in our discussion of this passage in this particular, um, moment in the story of Jesus that that there there are going to be several other moments throughout Jesus's mission where he says like my my priorities are preaching and teaching to the lost sheep of Israel right rather than um an expanded Gentile mission. And so I guess, I guess it's important to, to maybe notice the ways that Jesus is exaggerating to make a very particular point at a very particular time to a particular audience, which is like his hometown. Um, and, and to, and to know that some of these like super extreme statements, like none of them, none of them aren't like, like actually totally true uh or that there are more nuances in in some of these absolutely like un, unfolding stories but i do think it's really important to get really focused into this one particular incident to understand the kind of rejection that jesus is facing and the sort of um constant censure that he opens himself up to as he continues to show up to people who don't want to hear his message Right. And this is not a community that he's just stepped into to give this one really difficult word and Mm -hmm. then they're going to run him off a cliff. Right. They ask, isn't this Joseph's son? They know him. Like this is his community. Mm -hmm. So I also think that's really important. Like we um, we can speak a word as prophets in our own communities that is not a word that can be spoken by others, mm-hmm. right? And that doesn't mean it's going to be well-received, <laughs> but it does mean that there's this kind of deep communal knowledge that Jesus, yeah, speaks so harshly. And you're so right to point to like the ways in which it's in conflict with other right points in the gospel, gospels. Um, but but what, is, what does it mean to like not stand against our people, but to stand with them mm, mm-hmm. in this kind of self-knowledge, in this kind of critique um, that that's kind of, that's really like insider knowledge to continue with these like insider outsider language, yeah. like the insider knowledge we have in our own communities um, for all, for the, the kinds of things Jesus is getting at. Yeah. I think that's so helpful. And, and maybe this is an important time to call back to John the Baptist and maybe some of the ways that Jesus's 
is um, modeling his own ministry after John's own. As John talks about produce fruit in keeping with repentance and John's kind of prophetic work to say, you cannot rest on the laurels of your fathers. You can't just say, I belong to the family of Abraham and so I'm good. And John says, keep producing the fruit that's worthy of repentance. And it seems like perhaps Jesus is saying like, oh, you think that because you are like because we're from the same town that you can ride on the coattails of me right, into right. into the reign of God. Like no, like demonstrate some faithfulness um, that that you uh, Nazareth don't get some sort of special position just because you happen to be in like near geographic uh, like proximity. <laughs> that that really the demand is faithfulness is. Um, it, and and participation in what God is doing, right? Like you don't you don't just get to like hop on the bandwagon, <laughs> right? That's so so important. Well, we'll be right back after a quick break. Stick around for some thoughts on preaching and applying this text after a brief intermission and a simple prayer. Hear this prayer from Daily Prayer with the Cornelia community. God of promises, sometimes we wait generations for the dawn from on high, sometimes only years. We wait for justice and hope and light and kindness to mingle in the tangle of our days. And we age while we hope. So may we age and hope with tenderness and truth. Because you are tender and true. Even though sometimes we wonder. let's talk about moving from text to sermon. Are there some ideas or talking points, images that are really sticking with you as we look towards preaching on the scripture? Yeah, I thank you so much for reading that prayer. One of the first things that stuck out to me is just this this idea of graciousness and tenderness while waiting. If we are understanding some of the um, rage comes from a sense of hope deferred, having made hearts sick. Um, I think mm. I think some of my ongoing prayers are, Lord, teach me to wait with tenderness, with truth, with with clear vision um, to to understand what you're up to, um, so that when it's announced that promises are being fulfilled, I I can celebrate truthfully rather than being um, catapulted into rage, right? Wow, what a what a fitting word, what a fitting prayer, <laughs> and fitting word with this with yes. the scripture and and you know where we kind of yeah where we see the church folks here, <laughs> right? I I mean I think like like outside of that, um, like I was really compelled by some textual study and some kind of Greek words, etymology corner, um, 
they're Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> here for it. Here for it. Uh, so, so the word, the word that's used um, when uh, they get up and drive him out of the town, or they cast him out, they expel him. Um, that's in verse twenty-nine of chapter four. This word ekbalo. Uh, to expel, take out, remove, drive out, send out. Um, it's used about 95 times in the New Testament, which is a lot wow. for New Testament Greek. Yeah. Like that's like that's a pretty like common word. So not not to read too much into a, a word that's fairly common. Um, but I find it its contexts really interesting. So in this passage, people are driving Jesus out of the town. They're casting him out. They're expelling him, uh, trying to push him off the cliff. But this is also the same word that's really frequently used to cast out demons or to expel evil spirits. It's the mm. words that's being you. It's the word that that is used in the parables where uh, characters get thrown out of the banquet or expelled outside the city where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, this is the the word that's used when Jesus drives out the money changers from the temple. Um, this like casting or sending sending out. Um, it's used also in some really interesting ways with um, with the spirit driving Jesus into the wilderness. That's in Mark, um, as well as sending the disciples out for the harvest. That's in Matthew. So anyway, not to make too much of, of a common word used in a lot of circumstances, but I find this really interesting that there's there's this moment at the beginning of Jesus's ministry where he is being pushed by these forces like right. being pushed and expelled by the spirit out into the wilderness to have um a, a like 40 days of fasting and prayer and to experience significant temptation where he gets really serious about his own life and ministry and work um, and then comes back and is expelled from his hometown. And then Jesus carries on um, expelling, casting out lots of other things, casting out the forces right. of evil and darkness, casting out the power of sin and death, um, sending out his own disciples to do the work that God has given them to do. And I'm, I'm just finding that like movement really interesting that there, there are these forces at work on Jesus. And then Jesus is, is a force at work in the world. And I am feeling convicted about like where I am located in that force, in that expulsion, in that drive, right? Am I moving with Jesus or am I like pushing against Jesus? Um, mm. am, am I participating with Jesus to cast out the forces of darkness, death, and sin in the world? Am I sending out the people in my congregation to do the work that God has given them to do? Or am I actually casting out Jesus because I'm enraged, <laughs> right? Like, like, may it never be. Right, right. Well, and that's a really, I mean, pointing to that is, is really faithful to the text in that this story in the temple is bracketed by the examples that you just gave. Right. The temptation in the first part of Luke 4, and then the the chapter ends with um, the casting out of a demon at Capernaum. So really like it's all right here in this, you know, sandwich. Um, right. In, in the sandwich. The casting of, right. Jesus being cast out of the temple um, 
right in the middle. And so hopefully if other preachers have been doing this this work with Luke, these feel like familiar images to kind of draw on from the past and then to foreshadow in the future, right? Like, like where, where is the forceful movement of God in the world and where are the, where are the forceful opposing powers at work and, and how then do we locate ourselves and, and move with the flow of the spirit um, and follow Jesus's lead rather than um, being caught up in these other forces that are pushing Jesus out of town. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about um, the, some of the different, several of the different um, exorcism stories mm-hmm. has this very dramatic kind of casting out and it's accompanied by often um, what seems to be like a painful experience on the part Ooh. of the person who's then possessed by the demon. And so I'm just wondering about like the, the rage that the people feel in the temple and the ways in which like it is having the demons cast out of us, mm-hmm. it is loud and it hurts. Yeah. And, you know, here Jesus seems to be like pointing um, in some ways, like pointing a mirror at the people, you know, we have the good news, the, the reading from Isaiah on the scroll. They clearly think the good news is for them because they're so happy that he holds up the mirror actually it's not for you and 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 they they're choosing right this like casting him out but what is god trying to cast out in us mm-hmm. um i love i love your your pointing to the force um like which force are we going to be a part of um the thinking of the spirit as a kind of um force that moves us towards towards justice or even here like moves us towards a really challenging look in the mirror. Yeah, totally. I I think there's some some fruitful study there. How about you Megan? Absolutely. Are there are there images or um some pictures from the text that are sitting with you that that are leading you to some homiletical handles or application points? Yeah, so one thing we haven't talked a whole lot about yet is the theme of boundaries or borders. Mm. Um, And I'm wondering about this both as it takes place here in this lection, but also as a broader theme in Epiphany Mm -hmm. and the stories that we've read up to this point. So thinking of the beginning of Epiphany, you know, we have... Herod, the Magi, more or less cross Herod's boundaries by asking him, you know, where is the one who's being born king of the Jews? And and that boundary crossing leads leads to violence, right? Leads to yeah. rage on Herod's behalf. Yeah. We have Go ahead. I, I think um I think I've maybe mentioned this before, but one of the things like that's used in or one of the ideas that's used in therapeutic discourse is that the emotion of anger is a tool that tells us when our boundaries have been crossed. When that, oh, wow. that we often experience anger or frustration because some boundary that either we've articulated or not articulated has been crossed in some way. And sometimes those are healthy boundaries and sometimes those are like irrational or unhealthy or unhelpful boundaries. 
boundaries. And so doing that kind of work to decide, discern rather, why am I angry? Which boundary has been crossed? What, what is a boundary that's, that's, um, that's worth supporting and what, what boundaries might be, um, uh, falsely propped up. Right. And so, so here, here we have Herod's boundaries who have been crossed as he has like a particular line drawn in the sand around his own irrational power. Um, right. And and his authority. mm -hmm, Yeah. And, and when that, uh, unhealthy, unhelpful, irrational boundary is crossed, he has unhealthy, unhelpful, irrational, terrible anger right that has terrible consequences um and yeah it's interesting anyway continue so we have herod and the magi Yeah, herod and then i'm thinking of the magi they're crossing like they're they're crossing spatial boundaries right coming from the east um and then they're crossing some likely some lines some boundaries that are often in place around class and education and mm-hmm. um race ethnicity and, and then you have Mary and Joseph who are going to cross borders um, as they flee from Herod's irrational uh, boundary violation. Yeah. And even before then, they've they've crossed the boundaries from one territory to another territory within their own right. homeland, right? Like one city to another city for the sake of the census, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and then we see with John the Baptist um, in his ministry, he's clearly crossing some boundaries with the Herod of his day mm-hmm. because he, it, the text is really explicit that he speaks against the terrible things Herod has done. And that the result of that, um, the result of his prophetic truth telling leads John the Baptist into jail and then later will lead to his death. So just thinking about like, the ways in which these different stories in this season um, have similar themes or threads around boundaries and borders. And, and then how clearly there's some, whether it's the, whether it's the line that you've talked about, like having to wait in line um, behind these Gentiles or whether it's the boundary of what can or cannot be preached in the synagogue, mm. whether it's the relational boundary that Jesus is crossing in, in his first couple of sentences um, about, you know, prophets not being welcome in their, their hometowns. I mean, there's clearly some boundary crossing happening here. Yeah. That's, that's leading to the anger. Um, and I think, homiletically, it really encourages us to examine boundaries and borders, insider, outsider. You know, we talked in the first half of the episode, like whose welcome would cause this kind of rage Mm -hmm. in your community? And once we look at all that, I'm curious about the boundaries and borders where you live. Yep. It could be, I mean, and and really bring that down to the concrete level. Mm -hmm. You know, is it the railroad tracks? Is it uh, districting as it relates to voting? Yeah. Is it school districts? I mean, like do some research if you know you don't, if it's not explicitly like clear because we live still in a culture, in in a society, in environments with all kinds of very real, very concrete borders that are also like 
mostly made up. <laughs> right. Well, and and then um, it, like in this text, in really concrete ways, as well as like clearly throughout the whole scope of Jesus's ministry, and then the whole scope of God's big uh, new creation project, God is redrawing the boundary lines. God is constantly redrawing boundaries to be more inclusive, to be more welcoming, to bring all of creation into new creation. And as we can see in this text, that like redrawing of those boundaries, the the erasure of the old line system of, yes. of merit and position and our place in the line, all of that is being like erased and redrawn. And that's making a lot of people really angry who are so invested in that old system. But I think, I think the, uh, the faithful move that I'm inspired to make is how how can I respond to this redrawing of the boundaries like the psalmist in Psalm 16? The boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places that that this redrawing of the boundaries and borders is actually um, God's good and beautiful work that's worth celebrating and worth um, joyful uh uh, praise, right, rather than anger and frustration. Well, to get us back to the pair that we had at the break, that <laughs> these these boundary lines um, that God is redrawing, what well, we wait for justice and hope and light and kindness, mm. and we wait with tenderness and truth. Yeah. May it be so. And yeah, and. And we wait, and w- while we wait, we participate, mm-hmm. right, in that erasure work. Um, I've seen a cartoon somewhat recently of of Jesus, like, holding a pencil upside down, you know, <laughs> really, like, erasing these, like, fake lines that, um, these artificial lines that people draw, whether that's between nation states or neighborhoods, school districts, voting maps. Um, yeah. God's lines fall in, in, what was it, in the tender in places? In pleasant places. These, yeah, these boundary lines, these boundaries have fallen for me in pleasant places is what the, the psalmist says. And, and I think, I think the, the cautionary tale there is, is to not be so caught up in our own comfort of where those boundary lines have fallen, right? Like, so sure, sure, the boundary lines might be pleasant for me in this particular place, but are they pleasant for the people on the other side of the tracks, on the other side of the highway, in the other school district, right? Um, How is God redrawing boundary lines so that they are pleasant and pleasing and whole and beautiful for all of creation, which includes those who are on the other side of whatever line is bisecting your community right and and as we've said already we'll probably mean i'm further back in right line. exactly or that the line system has been abolished altogether right <laughs> which which is really which can be really anxiety producing for those of us who have been committed to the old order for a particular season right, right? um and and so that so that's the work of spiritual formation and maturity right to say where where are these boundary lines being redrawn by the the year of the lord's favor by the fulfillment of these promises and by god's grace let me be on board <laughs> Thank you.
Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Wow, this has been a really great conversation and has left me with a lot to think about. And I am getting more and more excited, also a little nervous to bring this to my community. It feels rich and compelling. So thank you, Megan. Uh, I think that's all the time that we have for today. So I'll remind our listeners to check out the website for more written commentaries for the scriptures this week, to sign up for our newsletter, to stay in the know and connect with us on social media for further conversation. We invite you all to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying the show to leave a review, that really helps us get the word out. We'll also point you to the resources linked in our show notes. You can find a link to the uh, revised comment lectionary page, as well as links for prayer resources and and um, some other quotes and things that we that we mentioned. So we invite you to utilize those for your ministry. Finally, as always, we offer a special thanks to the writers who contributed this week and to Matt Ghost for our original music editing and production. Next week, we'll continue with the season of Epiphany and the Gospel of Luke. See you then.